I want you to turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, 818. How many brought your Bibles tonight to the revival meeting? Two people, that's fantastic. Awesome. That's great. Hmm. I have the Passion Translation, so it's kind of weird because it's only New Testament and then it's got the Song of Songs and Psalms. Romans, no, I got it right here, babe. So I want you to hold your finger there in Romans chapter 8. And then I want you to go over to Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. We kind of received a love offering last night. On Friday night, we gave it back to the church, but I want to encourage you tonight, and then I'm going to get into a message. How many want to hear the word tonight? I just want to shake. I just want to laugh. I didn't come here for the word. Okay. You in the wrong building, sister. <laughs> Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Here's Paul speaking. Meditate on these things. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. You know, today... There are so many more people today that have absolutely no peace. Can't sleep at night, full of anxiety, worried about their life. Yet Jesus said clearly in Matthew chapter five, don't worry about your life. Don't be like the Gentiles that are so worried about everything. Don't worry about tomorrow. The trouble is sufficient for the day that it's in. Don't worry about it. Be at peace. He's like, look at the, look at the flower. It doesn't toil, it doesn't spin. And I tell you, that flower's got more going for it than Solomon does in all of his glory. Why do we live in such a toiling time? You know, I could go a few ways, but I'm gonna keep going. Verse 10, I'll get back to that thought sometime. Philippians 4.10, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, which means I'm relaxed, man. I'm content with what God's got going on with me. Can I ask somebody something? How many of you feel content with what God's, now don't just raise your hand. Only if you really believe this, how many feel content with where God has you right now? Okay, that's fair. Thank you for being honest. Some people are like, and then you go to talk to him and you, didn't you raise your hand and said you were content? Because everything you just said for the last two hours doesn't sound like you're content. It's like some ministers that talk, they preach, they're like, can I be honest with you? Let me be honest with you. I'm like, you've been talking for two hours <laughs> and you finally chose to be honest with me. <laughs> so people are not content with their lives. Can I just tell you this? I'm completely content. I don't just say that. I'm completely content. We got to fly around the world to 41 countries. We're still going. I, got, I feel like I've lived four lifetimes in my lifetime, seriously. 
got to do some amazing things. People that, you know, I'm, I'm not content with what the Lord's doing with me. I have learned to have absolutely nothing, and I've learned to have everything and be content no matter where I'm at. You could take everything I have away from me, and I'm fine. Because you can't take this away from me. You can't take him. There's a, how many ever seen the movie Shawshank Redemption? What a great movie, and I'll tell you why. There's parts in it that are really interesting, but there's this one individual part is this guy's name is Andy Dufresne. He was an old bank teller, and apparently his wife was cheating on him or something happened, and he shows up with a gun, and he's going to kill this guy who's been with his wife or something. Well, somebody else gets to him before he does, but he gets caught with a gun, so they throw him into jail for his life, basically. While he's in there, he gets picked on, he gets bullied, he gets beaten, and then this one time something happens. He finally finds a little favor with the guards at the jail, and what he does is he builds a library. When he builds a library, he writes out these checks, not sorry, he didn't write a check. He wrote letters to the Congress and the Senate or the people that were in control to send them money so they could build a library for a jail. This is like federal prison. They're not going to do it, Andy. Well, he writes for two years persistently and does not stop. He persistently writes a letter. Finally, in the movie, the, they send a check back to shut him up. Here's $500, shut up, build your library, and stop writing us. Don't write another letter to us. Like, that's going to stop Andy Dufresne. <laughs> so he builds the library. One of the things that happens, they find a record player and a record. So they have music. Well, in this federal prison, you can't have music. And being in the jail system now, they don't have music. Sometimes they get a TV in the pod where they can watch it with a whole congregate of the inmates and stuff, but they don't get to hear music. They don't get to hear the spirit. I mean, you can't, they don't get any of that. So I'm like, this movie fascinates me. So he gets this record player and he gets a record and he starts playing it in the warden's office. Or no, it wasn't warden's office. It must have been a side office. It doesn't matter. He's got the door locked. He turns the music on, and it's like Madame Butterfly. <laughs> it's like opera, you know, which he doesn't care because if you've never heard music and you hear one ounce of music after 20 years of not hearing music, you don't care what it is. It could be heavy metal. I'd probably still draw the line on heavy metal. That's just me. Um, and all of a sudden, he turns the music up, and you hear... And he's turned up, he's just, he sits back as if he's sitting at the beach listening to this music wash over him. And then he decides, I'm gonna put this on the radio, the speaker system. That's the office he was in, he was in the office of the speaker system. I'm gonna put it on the radio where they can all hear it out in the rec yard. So he turns it up and puts it on the thing and it goes out to all the inmates. And they're playing basketball and all of a sudden you're, and they all stop, and like everybody stops. It's like a, it's like a movie. <laughs> and everybody stops, and they stop playing basketball. They stop walking around. They all just turn, and they all like this, all together go. And they're they're all staring at the like the megaphone where it's coming out of the music. Well, about this time, the warden is upset, and he's got his guards with him, and they come to where Andy Dufresne is in this room. The door's locked, and so he knocks on the door, and he goes, <laughs> "It's the guard." He goes. Dufresne, you better turn that off. And Dufresne gets kind of shaken. Reminds me of the story of my daughter, Joy, last night. Gets kind of shaken, and he goes, and he's thinking about it through, and he's realizing what's going on, and he just had this amazing moment with the music, right? 
And he looks at the guard just like Joy did. <laughs> he goes like this and he goes. <laughs> and he turns the music like loud and he goes, Ooh! like this. And then the warden comes in and he goes, Dufresne, turn that music off like this. And he's, he's just not gonna do it. He's rebellious. And then the guard smashes the window, comes in and grabs Andy Dufresne and you hear the record player go, Throw him into solitary confinement. He's there for a whole month long. When he gets out, he's sitting at the table in the cafeteria. I want you all to pay attention to this. He's sitting at the cafeteria at the table with all the other inmates. And the inmates start asking him, that must have been some tough time. He goes, that was the easiest time I've ever done. They're like, what heck you say, man? You're in solitary confinement. He goes, no, I, I listen to music. And one guy goes, they let that record player in there with you in solitary confinement? He goes, no. And he almost looks at them disturbed like they don't understand what he's saying. He says, guys, there's places inside of you that nobody can get their hands on. He says, while I was in there, I heard the music. It's the easiest time I ever did, just went right by. And I'm watching this going, oh yeah, that's a sermon. Because that's the way my, my heart, my brain, my mind, who I am works. When you, when you spend time with God and the Spirit, there are places inside of you that the enemy cannot get to. You know, a lot of people don't understand this in their, in their faith with God and what they believe, that when you receive Christ, you got a brand new spirit. How do I know that? Because of 2 Thessalonians um, actually, I think it's 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. May the God of peace present your whole body, your whole soul, and your whole spirit. And if I was to back up, go to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. In the beginning, when God created man, it says, excuse me, it says that he formed man out of the dust of the ground, breathed in him his spirit, and made man into a living, breathing soul. When Adam disobeyed God, he died. The day that you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. But did he really die? No, he died in the spirit, which means he could no longer have communication with God and understand him or see him or understand and feel him. So Jesus, when he came, he gave us a brand new spirit. He sent us the Holy Spirit and he put that guy right inside of us and says, I'll guide you the rest of your life and he'll get you prepared to be with me for all eternity. The Bible says whoever's joined to the Lord is one spirit with the Lord. Everybody say this. I am, I am one, spirit one spirit with the Lord. Now, that spirit that's one with the Lord, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 says, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise until the eternal day of redemption. That means your spirit was vacuum packed. That's the place that Satan cannot get to. But let me tell you where he can get to, your soul. Your soul is not completely saved when you became born again. It is being saved. When you first got saved, it's only one. It's over the crucible of life that you continue in your salvation and you learn about what Jesus went through. You learn the word. You start to get perfected. He begins to sanctify your soul. Why is he sanctifying your soul? 
Because if you didn't know how to do algebra before you got saved, even though it says old things pass away, behold, all things become new, it doesn't mean the day you got born again, the next day you know algebra because all things are new. It's not true. Not all, not all things become new. If you're dumb before you get saved, I hate to tell you this. You don't become smart after you get saved. The only way you become smart is by renewing your mind. Now, here's the problem with, and I am a Pentecostal. Now, I was, I was raised, okay, how do I say this? I was born Catholic, I was raised Pentecostal, and I spent most of my nights at vacation Bible school at a Baptist church. I'm a Baptocostal with a side of Catholic. They drowned me when I was a child. I was a little baby. I want to make sure he's dead. I haven't even lived yet and you're killing me. So that's kind of, that's my background. The, one of the biggest problems I see with even Pentecostals is we live on such a high all the time but we never know what to do when we come off the mountaintop and we're down here in real life. And I'll tell you why. Because Pentecostals don't usually read the word. They do so many spiritual meetings, they don't get the word inside them. They just live from moment to moment trying to feel things all the time. I feel things all the time. I've been in Rodney Howard Brown meetings since 2003. Trust me, I feel it. I, I don't, did I say this before? I think I did. Maybe I didn't. When I first heard Pastor Rodney speak, it was in 1998 in Pensacola, Florida. My wife took me. And uh, she's here tonight. Would you stand for just a moment? Just say hi to everybody. <laughs> hi, nice to meet you. <laughs> Behind every happy wife is a very surprised mother-in-law. Anyway, so we were at, she took me to a meeting in 1998 and Pastor Rodney was up there, and there's this guy named McInnes. Now, he passed away a while ago, a long while ago. And um, I was not privy to being in a church service where people are laughing, and the guest speaker is insulting people. <laughs> like he had some guy had like, a, can you turn it down just a little bit? I all of a sudden became God. <laughs> just bring it down a little bit. And I, anyway, so... He's, he's saying stuff and he's preaching and I'm, I, I didn't know him and people started laughing and I was not happy. I mean, I'm a happy guy. I'm a goofy guy actually, but I thought you can't do this in church. It's disrespectful and everything. And it really didn't hit me until 2003, which is about five years later. And I went to one of his summer camp meetings in Tampa and he pulls me out of the chair because I'm losing it. I sound like a tickle me Elmo when God really gets a hold of me. <laughs> I really do. I don't sound anything like my big, you know. Anyway, I was like, like this. It's just really, it's ugly. It's actually quite ugly. You don't want to see it. Unfortunately, it'll cause you to laugh. So, but um, he pulled me out, and those are the times he was wearing the Hawaiian shirts. Does anybody remember him in the Hawaiian shirts? How many remember the Hawaiian shirts, okay? He wore the Hawaiian shirts. It was awesome because I was like, he was so like, what's the word I'm looking for? Just laid back and casual kind of thing. And I thought, I could dig this church, man, because I hated suits. I hate suits. I hate, let's worship the Lord. <laughs> oh, okay, praise the Lord. So he comes and gets me and pulls me out of the chair and puts me on the ground. 
and then comes over and takes his foot and steps on me. And then goes, <laughs> like this. And I'm, a, I'm starting to lose it, but here's what really happened. I was being touched by the joy of the Lord, but at that very moment, I didn't realize that Pastor Rodney doesn't wear an undershirt under his Hawaiian shirt. So this is me. And this is him. <laughs> and I went, <laughs> and I lost it. And the place went nuts, and I couldn't recover. I couldn't recover. I think my lung came out. I was just like, yeah, let me get that back in. It was, oh, I was gone. And you know what? God used that in my life to break me open and break me free. But there's places inside of us that God is trying to reveal to us, and one of those places is the soul. So let's get this straight. Anyone who's joined to the Lord is one spirit with the Lord. If I could draw three circles in this imaginary board right now, you would have the spirit, the soul, and the body. And you are the soul, the manager of your garden. Let's say this is the tree of life, which is Jesus. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the... I am the vine, you are the? Okay, that works, right? Everybody good with a the visual there? Okay, and then you have the knowledge of the tree of the good and evil. The knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The knowledge of good and evil, which is the flesh, which is corrupted and fallen. In the day that you eat of that tree, you should, tree, you should surely die. But they didn't die. Their spirit died, which means they lost connection with God. They turned to the flesh and they said, this is more important. God created us a triune being that our spirit, when he created our spirit, it only relates to God. It does not understand the flesh. It doesn't agree. It doesn't relate with the flesh. The flesh was created only to relate to God's creation. Taste, touch, smell, see, hear, feel. That's only for the flesh. But see, we're amazing that God made us like he did because he made us in his image and in his likeness and he gave us a soul, which means you are a unique person. It's not just something we say, God has a plan for your life. Have you seen that latest Geico commercial? Pinocchio at some kind of, uh, what's it called? Inspirational speaker? They show like this old baby boomers guy who's like 55, he looks like down and out, he's dressed up in a suit and he's like, he just looks like down and out. He's like, you have a lot of potential in this room. And his nose goes, whoop. There's some serious stuff we have to work with here. Whoop. It's like, that's what it's like. The flesh thinks it's all that. It's not. It's not. But you are unique. God made you unique. You're unlike anybody else that had ever lived here. There's no such thing as reincarnation. You are somebody that's never lived on this planet before. And when you receive Christ, you became a new creation, which means old things have passed away, all things have become new. But you still have to renew your mind, which is in your soul, mind, will, emotions. This is really important. How many think that this is going to help you today, okay? Because Pentecostals will live up here, but the, what do you do when you come down? You can live in this place with the Spirit all day long. But you know how you continue in that? You know how Pastor Rodney can continue that way? Because he stayed in the word for all those decades. 
And once he filled himself with the word, the spirit became manifest. The fire fell and hit him when he was 18 years old. And that burned out all the traces of religion. He says, I just want God. And he was able to walk around and go, I know exactly what God's will is for me. Not all the time, but I just keep praying. I just keep moving forward towards it. So I'm using Pastor Ronnie because I have a lot of respect and honor for him. And he's the father of the pastor's daughter here, you know, or the, not son, pastor's daughter, Kirsten and Caleb, right? It's his daughter who's one of the pastors here. That's what I meant to say, okay? Thank you. And uh, um, you can be at peace just like Andy Dufresne because the music never has to stop. But you, the manager of your soul, the manager and tender of the garden that's inside of you, it's as if you've got two knobs over here. You got a volume knob on the flesh and the spirit. Here's the spirit, here's the flesh. A lot of Christians turn this up when they leave the meeting and they turn this down. That's why you've got to turn this way off like shut it off and blare this thing because he's always speaking. But right now he's speaking. It never stops. There's a river of God flowing from his throne unto his own, making glad the city of God. Why? It's always flowing. It's always moving. It's always going. He's always broadcasting. But he's a still small voice. He speaks to you like, he's, it's almost like this. Do this, son. Do this, daughter. Don't do that. Say no to that. Say yes to that. Don't do that. That's it. And then he'll talk like, I'm so proud of you. I love you so much. It's constant. It's like a radio station, always on. Never raising funds. Now, what does the flesh sound like? You know, I don't know if it's going to work out. This thing's looking pretty real. I don't know, man. I, we probably should pray. The Spirit goes, it's done. The purpose of praying is to bring your flesh into submission to the Spirit. Jesus had a will, okay? Jesus was, it was recorded, Jesus saying in the Garden of Gethsemane, if there's any way to pass this cup, what is Jesus doing? He's letting us in to realize that this human flesh that he is now sitting in has some weakness in it that doesn't really want to go through with this because it's almost unbearable. But I love what Jesus says next, but not my will be done, your will be done. See, the flesh says my will be done. What I want to do happens. The spirit says your will be done. And this is why we have confused Christians because... They're in between these two trees. Or how about this? They're in between two fathers. The father of the flesh who's been judged, which was Satan who corrupted the flesh. And then you have the father of lights who's trying to guide and lead us. And both are trying to have position in your life. But you know what about the father? He doesn't pull and prod and poke like this guy over here. This guy, it tries to overt his will over your will and tries to make it sound like it's you doing it. Jesus said it's not what goes into a man that defiles him, it's what comes out. How many of you have ever had a terrible thought come to you and you thought to yourself, that's not even me. Come on, let me see your hands, okay? 
You know what that's happening? It's the enemy trying to get you to act out in the natural what he has always felt in his spiritual world that he has been condemned in. And you are the gatekeeper of your life. And now that you have Christ living inside of you, the Holy Spirit is there full of joy, full of peace, full of faith, has more than enough, looks at nothing and sees something. And your flesh goes, man, I, I don't got anything in my bank account. I got nothing going on. I don't know. I, I guess we'll just pray. And that's some people are like, well, we'll just pray it through. You know, honestly, that's a lack of faith. It's actually a lack of faith. Roy, you're kind of messing with me a little bit. You know, be nice. You're a guest here, you know. Yeah, but I'm a brother from another mother. I'm a mister from another sister. And that sister raised me, that mother of mine raised me to believe God for the impossible. Everything we need is available to us right now. In fact, it's actually done. It's not gonna appear from space, so that means it's already in the earth ready to go. We just call it in by the spirit. Not just that, well, I need some money or I need this. No, you call it in. I'm doing the will of my Father. Your word says if I ask anything in your name according to your will, it'll be granted unto me. And let me tell you, when all of a sudden you start seeing this operate in your life, your faith starts to go, and guess what? You be faithful with a little, he makes you ruler over much more. I don't actually want to be ruler over much more sometimes. There's more responsibilities. And there's much more devils to wrestle. Love what Pastor Rodney says. Sometimes he goes, you got to cast the person out of the demon. <laughs> Come out, Joe. Is your name Joe? Did you play Satan last night? Don't grow a complex, brother, I promise. It's just a part. The demon comes out and he goes, thank you. That guy's got issues. Send me to dry places. Anywhere else is better than Joe. Maybe it's Merle. We'll use Merle. That's an old 1940s name, isn't it? Merle. What a beautiful baby. What do you want to name him? Merle. Right next to his brother, Walter. Somebody's going, what's wrong with Walter? Merle. Everybody say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let me finish this up. We'll receive a love offering tonight. Hopefully there's more offering than love. Nevertheless, you have done well. <laughs> so, it took some of you guys a little bit for that. It's like a grenade. I tell it and I throw it and then I'm like, oh, there it goes. Okay, cool. So he says, nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. And... Uh, if you, he says, for even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Now listen to verse 17, because this is me today. I totally see myself in the scripture. 
not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Now look, you guys have been in these meetings for over, what, nine days now? 10 days, somewhere in there, it doesn't matter if it's, it's a long period of time. And I wasn't here in the very beginning, but your pastor called me and I felt in my spirit, yes. Now, I didn't need an offering from anybody because I, it doesn't matter to me. However, I still believe people need to give. I, I just talked to a guy today who's, I'm gonna be out in West Palm Beach this uh, weekend coming up. We got 600, 700 people coming to this tent and they're not even taking up a love offering. I thought that's depriving the people of giving. People need opportunities to give. Melanie, do you have a microphone, y'all, real quickly? Just real quick. I, I just want you to share just, just briefly. Can you turn this on for me? Is it? It's coming on now. Can you come up and share just quickly what broke us into revival around the world? Tell us what broke us into revival. Um, in a word? Giving, or you want the story? Story. Oh, okay. Giving, thank you. <laughs> um, well, we actually, um, <laughs> you know, we were crying out for the Lord to, to experience revival. Um, not that we hadn't been a part of, like, we were really massively touched in Brownsville, really in um, the late 1990, uh, 1990s. We were touched in Brownsville, touched in Rodney's, but we were crying out for revival um, to impact us mostly because we wanted to see the fruit. You know what I mean? So, like, we had had these awesome touches. We'd rolled on the floor. We'd laughed. But we wanted to see that encounter that would produce some massive fruit in our own lives. You know what I mean? Like, I want to see the sick healed, God. I want to see people saved through my, my testimony, through my life. I want to see the fruit. I want to see people delivered. I don't want to just talk about it. So we were really seeking God for right. um, the, the revival. We were seeking to have an encounter. And um, we actually really, really needed financial breakthrough. Um, we had basically gone on the road and left our church. And um, we were living by radical faith. And, Got um, rid of our home, gave everything away. Well, before we, we gave everything away, oh. we were on the road with no backing, right. no meetings. Nobody was like, wow, you have an anointing on you. Two kids. Right this way. <laughs> How can we help? In a, tr in a truck. In a truck. Yep. At one point in our lives, I mean, right before we had our breakthrough, we were in a parking lot. Um, we had gone up to do a meeting, actually, with Pastor Rodney at the time. Louisville, Kentucky. Who offered to put our CDs in the back, and um, and usually we would sell out of CDs. And everybody just got up and ran out. I mean, just walked out right, right past all the product tables, didn't buy a single thing in that place. And so we were in the parking lot, $35 in our account, no, no hotel, with our kids in the back. And a guy knocks on our door, and he says... Excuse me, I'm homeless and broke. And we're thinking, get in line, buddy. <laughs> we're homeless and broke, too. <laughs> and he wanted to borrow some money. Anyway. I gave him a packet of Fig Newtons. Yeah, we did. We gave him some food. We had food. So be warmed and fed. <laughs> we, we were so broke. And we got into these meetings. And um, one thing I loved about my husband is he was always really radical with giving. And, but, but I love to give his wallet, you know, like we would get in a meeting and I'd be like, let's give, let's give it all. And I were, we were in this meeting and, um, we had probably about a thousand, the beginning of the year, right before we had our greatest breakthrough, we had a thousand dollars in our bank account, no meetings booked. 
um, of course, we had given away our home at this point in time, and we were down at camp meetings, staying in my, um, my his parents' empty trailer, okay? They were getting ready to sail it, sell it, so we were sleeping on the floor, you know, and I remember he does, he does the longest offerings in the whole entire world, and you sit through them wanting to be touched by the fire, and instead he talks about money. And we're sitting in these meetings. Listen up, seriously, listen up. And we're sitting in these meetings, and we felt, both of us felt in our heart to give something. And he's thinking to himself, you know what, I'll do it, but Lord, let my wife confirm it. Yeah, and the at number. This, yeah, so at this point in time, I look over at him, and I'm like, I think we should give 500. And I went, oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> so we actually gave half of our bank account that, that year. And... That actually started us on a journey. We didn't have any meetings for several months. I mean, you think like, you know, you say give and it shall be given unto you. And you're thinking this is going to manifest for several months. I mean, we slept in somebody else's home waiting for a breakthrough. And it was actually a couple months later that we, we got a phone call and some people, you know, asked us to come to a wedding. I mean, to a funeral. That's a big difference. But asked us to come to a funeral. And <laughs> you want to come with us to the meeting? It's going to be awesome. And it started us on a journey. This funeral, they paid for us to get up there and had some get some expenses paid so we could travel. And then we got invited to a meeting after a meeting after a meeting. And we ended up at this point in time, as we started to, like, embrace giving, and I started to embrace giving, because what you may not know about me is I was a very fearful when it came to giving. I was very fearful when, in finances. And I would usually get really mad at him first because I was thinking if he would just do something different. But I meditated on it. I thought about it. Like people do the coronavirus. I thought about how much money we did not have. And God used us when I cried out for revival. What he did for me was he broke me free in giving. And that giving that we started actually multiplied in the anointing in our lives. As we began to give, I mean, we, we prospered in finances, but we prospered in the anointing. I remember, um, I remember Pastor Rodney prophesying over us. And I think it was in winter camp meeting or one of the camp meetings, you know, summer camp meeting. And he said, this, this year, your anointing is going to increase 10 times stronger. The fire is going to increase 10 times hotter. And we, I mean, that's when we started seeing it just pour out. And then by the end of 2007, we were so radical about giving. We decided we had a, we had a storage unit. And we decided, we looked at each other and we said, you know, they say if, it, if you haven't used it in a year, get rid of it. Well, it's been sitting in there for a year. And we both looked at each other and said, let's give everything away. We emptied our entire storage unit except for seven boxes. This was 2007, let me inter in let December. Me let me interrupt you. She graduated with a 4.8 GPA. So when she graduated college, her first job was like, they're going to pay her 50000 bucks just to do part-time job with a computer science major working. I don't even know if I'm saying it right. But the point, <laughs> somebody says, oh, you know, who's the I married her. So, so, but she left that, and for her to do something radical like that was crazy for her. She had her whole career set up. Uh, she was going to be in business. I'm going to get a laptop. I'm going to be president one day. She literally was thinking that way, okay? And along comes Mr. Dropout of ninth grade high school who just has a little gift of worship and wants to preach all his life. And I'm like, God's just going to use this. I don't know how, but it's going to be amazing. And she's like, yeah, okay. So when she came through this, for her to say, let's do it, I was like, 
the pig in mud. I was the dog with two tails swinging back behind my legs. I was just like, this is it. And we came into agreement that day. Finish where you're saying that. So in 2007, that was powerful, man. So we started with radical giving. And by 2007, we'd given away our whole entire storage unit. No guarantees at all. And in 2008, we got a phone call to come to these meetings. And mm. um, we had done this several times. We never had huge guarantees. Um, but we would just radically jump out in faith. And we came down to a meeting in 2008 that was supposed to um, just be for four days. We ended up here for 108 days in 2008 and sold um, 25,000 CDs at that point in time. Came up with no house, it, living, we, were put, we had a truck and a trailer, and all our stuff was in the back of our trailer. And people laughed at us because we pulled out, you know, everything we owned just to get to our musical equipment. But people didn't realize we were a miracle in the waiting. And, and, that, and that was unloading, setting up with two, two little children while she was homeschooling them, and then doing the whole meeting where I would lead worship and preach and pray for the sick and pray for the altar call and lay hands and then talk to the pastor at the end and then come back in with no help from my kids. My wife's taking care of the children, and I'm packing stuff back down, putting it in the trailer and going from place to place. And by the way, this would be somebody who would lie to me and say, oh, yeah, we got a big church, and we would drive from New York to Georgia, 14-hour drive, get there, and it's a house meeting with 20 people, and they're all related. <laughs> but we would go into places like that not caring because we're like, you know what? If this is what we have offered to us. This is what we have to work with. We're going to make it like there's 2,000 people here, and we're going to preach and worship like as if we're filled with people. And guess what? Three, four people came to Christ in that 20-house church, and that just started happening. And, and little by little, it started to build. And, and that was like once, once that poured out on us in Lakeland, and people, some of the, the, the longest lines at our table, and people were just like, well, what are you doing? What is your secret? And we would, you know, we didn't have a secret. It was obedience. And so when people would, would think to yourself, oh, you must be so blessed. And you're like, no, I sowed into this. I obeyed for this. I radically stepped out for this. I went after extremely, extreme obedience. And from then on, hmm. every time that we needed a miracle, God would tell us something to give or so, some way to sow. And he has every never, time. ever ever, 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 ever failed us in all these years of ministry or my children. Never. So now they're givers, and I'm passing on that same inheritance to them. Amen. Thanks, babe. That's awesome. Yeah, like the number one ability you have is to hear the voice of God. And I was saying that the other night, you know, during those times, especially in 2007, my grandfather passed away, and so his house was available. So we used his house for a few months. My Aunt Beverly, who took care of my dad, she's my mother's sister, and she's like 82, but she's like a 30-year-old. I want to be Aunt Bev when, she, when I'm 82. But um, she opened up the house and let us use it as kind of a base just for a few months. And one of those nights I was sleeping, I was so hungry for God. I was so desperate for God. I mean, I was... Listen, when you're on the road and you have a, I had a 2001 Ford Excursion V10, which when you start it up, it's like this, you hear this, $5. You get what I'm saying? Like, 
And if you go up a hill, it starts going 20, 30, 40, 50, 70. Philip, I just got to the top of the hill. <laughs> so we had that truck going on. And at the same time, um, you know, I've got these two little kids. I don't have any income, zero. Zero guarantee, no job, no paycheck, nobody underwriting us. We couldn't even collect food stamps if we wanted to because we're out of state. We're from Florida. But we believe God, literally believe God. I had some people come up to me, hey man, is this ministry thing working out for you? Like, are you making any money at it? I'm like, why are you asking? Because we want to go to the ministry. I said, don't, you'll never make it. Not because I'm not making it, but his motive will never help him. So is this ministry thing working out for you? You making any money at it? So if I did, you would get in? You're the kind of minister I don't want to go into the ministry. I want people full of faith that have overcome some weaknesses and got strong. You get what I'm saying? Amen? I don't want somebody coming into my hospital room. You know, if it's the Lord's will, brother, I hope it works out for you. Well... Lord, thank you, you're just so kind. Man, you touch me, I will literally use my IV as a dart. I want a guy full of faith coming in. What's you got, cancer in your body? In the name of Jesus, sorry nurse, you have to step aside. In Jesus' name, I curse this thing from the roots and I command it to come out right now. Somebody says, you don't have to yell, they can hear you. I want everybody in the hospital to hear me. There's a man of faith coming in. Christ in me is gonna tear that sucker out of you. So anyways, I'm saying this because in the middle of those nights, one night particularly, I heard the Lord call me and speak to me. It was I, I, like, if you ever read the book of Samuel, you can relate to Samuel because you hear him calling you. Roy, I was like in the middle of the night, it was about 2.30 in the morning, Roy. And I'm like, yes? And I hear him, I hear his voice. He says, will you do whatever I tell you to right now? I said, yes. He goes, get up, go get in your truck and start driving. My wife's sleeping there, my kids are in there, I'm on the top floor, I gotta go. Yes, sir. I didn't even ask questions, I just went. Sometimes my wife, it would make her nervous because she's like, where'd you go? Well, the Lord called me. <laughs> Why do you have Twinkies in your hands? <laughs> that was on the way back. No, seriously, I didn't go out for Twinkies. I came back, I was celebrating because I heard the Lord's voice. No, this really, this kind of stuff happened all the time. I'm not kidding you. Oh, it's a Twinkie anointing, is it? So anyway, so this one in particular night, it's 2, 3 in the morning, he says, will you do whatever I tell you to? And I said, yes, Lord, of course I will. He says, I want you to get in your truck, get your clothes on, get in the truck. It was cold out, and because it's New York, so it was around the, the, the wintertime. And he said, get in your truck, start driving, I'll talk to you. And I did. So I got in there and I put on some music and I started driving. And all of a sudden he starts speaking to me. Now this is 2007. This is before the Lakeland Revival. It's before our ministry broke open and all the things that we did. And uh, he just started telling me, I, I have really called you. I've set you apart for me. And here I am driving down the road and he goes, pull down that street. So I pulled down the street. I'm telling you, I heard him say the things. It's... You know, some people don't want to be willing to do what God tells them to do because it seems too strange to their flesh. We're spirit people, not flesh people. We're spirit living in the flesh. This flesh needs to submit its will to the spirit. And so I get out of the truck. I start walking. He goes, walk down the sidewalk. I'm hearing this. I'm, and, and at the same time, my flesh is going, okay. 
right. <laughs> 2.30 in the morning. That's why never judge a homeless guy that's walking down the road someday. He could be the next prophet that God is speaking to. You ever see these guys that talk to themselves? Like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I'm hey, I'm a... I don't know. And you're going, what a weirdo. And he's the next prophet. He's the next evangelist that God's called. And like 10 years from now, he's up on a stage and there's thousands of people in his crusade. And you're in the back going, why does he look so familiar? Why am I in the back doing nothing with my life? Because this guy was willing to do whatever the Lord told him to, not caring what man thinks. So I did it. I did what he told me to. And he just started speaking to me. And I was rest assured in my heart and in my soul, even though you don't have all this money right now, it's all waiting for you. And I've got some plans for you. So just trust me. Stay with me. I'll show you how to go. It was just one night. Happened to me again in April of last year. Out of the norm, out of the blue. Will you do what I tell you to today? I mean, I heard it as loud and clear as possible. Will you do whatever I ask you today? Will you dedicate your whole day today to do whatever I ask you to do, no matter how crazy it is? I said, absolutely. You know why I could say that so quickly? Because I remember 2007, and now it's 2019 at the time. 12 years later. See, I know that voice. How many know that voice? He's telling you to do things that don't make sense. By the way, this is not about the offering at the moment. This is about hearing the voice of God. Now, the Lord's gonna speak to you. If you ask him, he'll speak to you. That'll be the offering in a second, but let me finish this story. April of last year, I went on a fast for four days. You're not supposed to tell the church you go on a fast. And I did put water on my face, so I didn't look like I was on a fast. And I've never gone past two days, ever. All of a sudden, I didn't even try to fast. It just happened. I just wasn't hungry that day. And I was busy with the word and doing some things in the ministry. And of course, I'm at the jail preaching and stuff like that. So Tuesday came around. It was Monday I started. Tuesday came around. And I, I just wasn't hungry. But I was hungry for the word. And I'm preaching. And I'm I'm watching how my spirit is taking over and my flesh is starting to kick at me a little bit. Boy, day three was a tough day. You're gonna die. You need food. What are you doing? You're going to die. Cellulite to eat for the next 10 days. I'm gonna start calling you Darth Cellulite. It's a pathway to the dark side. That's what your flesh does. Go on. <laughs> Grab my lightsaber. Strike me down. Your flesh is always, the, Satan's right there trying to convince you, don't do this. Yes. Good. I feel those feelings of aggression. Good. Yes. Come join me on the dark side. <laughs> it's like, 
I will slay you. I know you will. <laughs> That's what's going on with your flesh. Your flesh is fighting you, man. It does not want you to find out who you truly are. It's fighting you tooth and nail. So anyway, day three, I'm like, and I'm like, I, I, I'm going to, and I, day four, I wake up, and that's the day the Lord said to me, now, today, will you do whatever I ask you the whole day? I want you to set aside, cancel everything, and do whatever I tell you today, and no matter how crazy it sounds, you do it. I said, yes, sir. Father, absolutely, I'm in. He goes, okay, walk outside. I'm telling you, I heard these things. Now, somebody's gonna make fun of me. I can feel it, right? They're already doing it. They're typing on comments. Oh, really? Isn't that special? <laughs> It's fine. You can comment all day long. It doesn't bother me. Because um, you're probably sitting at home doing nothing for the kingdom, so that's okay. Don't worry about it. But he loves you. Ooh, burn. And I'm not talking about Bernie, okay? <laughs> so... Day four, I get up, he goes, go outside. I walk outside in my parking lot. I have a, we have three and a half acres of land. I walk on the driveway and I'm, I'm literally doing crazy stuff in the sense of I'm just listening to the Lord's voice and I'm praying and I'm kind of just kind of going with it. And I'm like, this is, I remember being here in 2007. I trust you, Lord. I trust you. I trust you. And he has me walk up to a big flower bush we have. There's this beautiful flower on there. And he says, break off a branch. Well, it's got thorns coming out of it too. So it kind of gets me. So I break the branch off, and he goes, now take it over to your fountain. And I'm, I go to the fountain. Trust me, my flesh is going, you're doing this to yourself, buddy. You're a little wacko, a little psycho going on there, buddy. And I'm like shutting it down. I've been here before. So I take the, I take the branch, and I got the flower, and I got the thorns that are on there. And he says, put it down. And I begin to get down on my knees, and I start to pray in the spirit. Now, I probably look like Daniel did back in the Old Testament, lifting my hands up in his place, while my old neighbor next door is going, oh my gosh, Roy's at it again. What is he doing? And I'm like, I'm there on my knees just worshiping the Lord. And I, as I worship the Lord, I start speaking in these different tongues and I start hearing different dialects. I'm hearing like Chinese and Indian and German. And I'm like, I'm not trying to do this. It's starting to happen, like just supernaturally. I look down at the branch and he goes, do you know why I have a thorn on that branch? I protect that which is beautiful. I don't even know what that means. But my spirit goes, like you just did, wow. You don't even know what that means. You're just like, that's a really nice poem. Is that a haiku? <laughs> but the Lord's speaking to me, and that's all that matters. Can I say this again? The Lord's speaking to you is all that matters. You can read his word, but when you put the Bible aside and you walk, he can still speak and he speaks and he speaks and he speaks and there's a river and it flows and it bubbles and it flows and it bubbles. And then I get up off of my feet and I, now he says, go inside and I want you to grab all your jewelry right now. And I had, a, I had like a $4,000 ring. It was our 10-year anniversary ring. I had about a $2,500 bracelet and I had like a seven $800 chain around my neck. I've had it for like decades, like two decades or a year. Oh, I'm sorry, 10 years or something like that. And he says, I want you to take all that jewelry right now. I want you to go to the pawn shop. I'm like, should I take my phone with me? He's like, don't take your phone. I'll tell you where the pawn shop is. 
know where the pawn shop is. Don't worry, I'll tell you when you get there. I'm not kidding you. I drive down in Kissimmee and I'm going all around and all of a sudden there's a pawn shop. He goes, see, that's the one. And I went, I didn't even know that was there. I pull in, I get as much as I can for it. And he goes, I want you to walk down the street and I want you to give it to every single homeless person. I'm like, what? Now, I cashed in some serious money. And, and look, here's why I'm telling you. I'm not blowing my, my horn on this. I, I had to go through this in my heart. Lord, can I share this? And, and I, the reason he's doing it for me is to help other people begin to listen to his voice because he's gonna unlock some things in your life. So one point, I walk down the street, I'm giving out $100 bills to homeless people. And I just give it to every single person. I'll be driving down the road and you say, you see those people right there? I want them to be blessed today, right now. It doesn't matter what anybody thinks. Oh, they'll use it for wine, they'll use it for this. It doesn't matter. That's between them and God. Well, it won't really help them. God's not trying to help necessarily them. He's trying to help me be obedient. He'll work with them on their own stuff. And so I go to this one, there's about six homeless people I'm in a blue tank top with white shorts. My hair was long and blonde at that time, so I had it all pulled back and everything. And I walked up to these, about five or six of them, I guess, were there, homeless people. There was a lady kneeled down on the ground, looked like her daughter was with her. The woman looked, she was about 60-something years old. And I walked up to them and I said, hey, can I pray for you? And I was like, it was almost like The Matrix. You ever seen the movie The Matrix? I watched it for research purposes. I was like, I was so calm, which is not my personality. I was a very hyper creative kid. Every night before I went to bed, my mom told me, one day God's going to use you, but until he does, take this pill. <laughs> so, I'm a, so this particular day, I'm like, uh, I'm like Obi-Wan or something. I'm like, like I'm Neo. I'm just like calm, like it's okay, it's fine. It was just weird, it was weird in a good way. And I said, can I pray for you? I'm, I'm, I'm like observing myself praying for somebody, like internalizing, and I'm going, what, what's wrong with me? This is I'm going with it though, because he said go with it, so I'm going with it. <laughs> going with it, going with it. And I said, can I pray for you? And she goes, who are you? And this lady gets this weird look on her face. She's homeless, okay? And she's coughing. <clears throat> she goes, who are you? I said, ma'am, I wanna pray for you. I hear you coughing. I can see it's really bad for you. And the daughter's next to her. She's homeless too with her mom. And she's probably in her mid-30s. She goes, mom, I don't think he wants to hurt you or anything. I think he wants to pray for you. Let him pray for you. And she's looking at me and she's terrified. And I leaned forward and I just said, ma'am, let me just pray for you. And I grabbed her by the hand and I took her hand and put it on her chest. And I said to her daughter, can you put your hand on her hand on her chest and let me pray? And I did it very appropriately. And I said, I command you to breathe now. I said, take a deep breath right now. She looked at me. She's not praying. She's not interceding or entering in. She's like this. Like I can hear her going, really? You're some stranger walking up to me on the corner of Wawa here and just like praying for me? And I just, it didn't matter what she said. I'm listening to my father. I said, in the name of Jesus, breathe. I said, and then she didn't, she didn't respond. And then I felt this authority come and I said, breathe. 
And she went, and she went, and she looked at her daughter and like all the homeless people were going like this. And she goes, oh my God. I said, give me your hand. And that, again, I'm chill. I'm like, Neil, I'm like, give me your hand. Like nothing's going on. <laughs> and she stands to her feet and I says, now walk. And she walked. There's no crowd. There's no audience. Nobody's got a little hidden YouTube selfie video recorder going on. It's somebody getting healed right in front of our eyes. It's like as if Jesus just took over my body and came down and started to reach out to people because somebody was available. And she got him started walking around. And this is the clincher, man. She walks around, and now everybody's freaking out. And I end up leading this guy to Jesus, leading this girl to Jesus. She starts to get prayed for. And this woman looks at me, and she goes, she's terrified because now she can breathe. And I'm totally calm. I'm not even, I'm not, hallelujah, come on, we got another one. <laughs> who's going to, who's there? There's nobody there. I don't even have witnesses. You have to go by my word and my testimony right now. It's what sucks about it. But anyway, <laughs> so, sorry, stinks. <laughs> she looks at me dead in the eye. Now she's breathing. She's completely walking on her legs. And everybody's freaking out because they can't believe it. They know this woman. I said, what was wrong with her? She has lung cancer. And she can completely breathe right now and walk around. And we just saw her in mid-breath get healed. She looks at me terrified. She goes, what is your name? And I went like, I said, ma'am, it doesn't matter. Jesus loves you and he just healed you. So he really loves you. She goes, no, what is your name? And I said, my name is Roy. She goes, oh my God. She goes, all this morning I heard the name Roy, Roy, Roy. Come on, man. Is that awesome? And I walked away and I could see him in my peripheral. Who was that? <laughs> and I did that every day. One, one, um, one gentleman was sitting on one of the benches. He had sinus problems. And I said, can I pray for you? He's like, man, get away from me, man, like that. And I said, and it didn't, it didn't, it didn't even go, oh, come on, I just want to. I just looked at him like Neo and I was just like, can I please pray for you? I almost looked like Todd White probably. I was like. Can I please pray? So good. <laughs> Yay, God. So I don't know what happened, but he, he just said, man, get away from me. And I flicked out a $100 bill and I gave it to him. I said, can I please pray for you? And he's like, man, what the beep is this? I said, you're not on camera or anything, sir. Can I please pray for you? I said, I notice you're not breathing right in your sinuses. He's like, yeah, you can pray for me. I'm still Neo, man. I'm still calm. And I went for it and I put my hand right on his nostrils. And I looked him straight in the eye and I said, breathe. Like all of a sudden I went from nice Neo to breathe. And the dude was like this and he goes. <laughs> he goes, who are you? I said, Jesus loves you. And I walked away. 
You know that dude was sitting on that chair, and he, when I walked away, he's going, Maybe now I can snort that crack. I hope not. <laughs> but my point is, <laughs> don't get mad at me, you religious people. Here's my point. Everybody say this after me. I need to hear my father's voice. Just tell him right now. Put your hand on your heart. Close your eyes. Say, Lord, I'll go wherever you want me to. And I'll do whatever you want me to. When your flesh volume is too loud, you cannot hear the still small voice. You just can't. God says you cannot serve mammon and me too. You have to choose the master you serve. You're gonna have to serve somebody. Even when you get to heaven, you have to throw your crown at his feet. You mean I have to give an offering when I go to heaven? First thing you're gonna do is give an offering. You're gonna take that crown and throw it at his feet and say, it's because of you, not me. You did that, not me. I think we're gonna have a fight with the crown, Jesus and I, because he's gonna try to give it to me. I'm gonna push it back and go, you don't understand. This was all you. I'm just a vessel, man. This is all you. He's going, Roy, I know, you need to receive this. He wants to do the same with you. All right, would you all just close your eyes? I want you to ask the Lord tonight what he'd have you give. If you've been blessed through the ministry here in the last few days that I've been here, my wife and I, you can give online. I think they're gonna put it up on the screen or maybe not, I don't know. Um, they do have envelopes here as well. Ask the Lord what he'd have you give tonight. Some of you need to break through like my wife did in finances. Some of you need to go for it. Some of you need to sow into good soil. Was anybody blessed here the last few days? So into it. It's your father who's trying to get a hold of you, man. He's building you. He loves you. He cares for you. He wants to take you on adventures, man. That whole day was an adventure for me. I even drove around in my truck and I had no gas and it was impossible for me to drive around with no gas. I went for hours on no gas. Like hours and hours and hours. And we just started to minister. I just, I did. I just started to minister to all these people. And the Lord was so proud because he says, you can hear my voice. You're doing what I said. This would be crazy to anybody else, but you're listening. And I think if you just would open up your heart and say, God, I really will do whatever you want. Not just in the area of finances, but you know what? Anything you ask is not off the table. I don't care how strange it is. People are so conscious of themselves today. It's like even on Facebook, they do their Facebook Lives, and you can watch them trying to watch the numbers of people that are watching, and you can see the insecurity on their face. Man, if you're doing Facebook Live, just speak your heart. Who cares who's watching? It's out on the Facebook. If God's really giving you something, people are watching you not being secure and watching for the numbers. We know what you're doing. You're looking at the numbers, trying to see, okay, now I have confidence because there's more people on there. You know what we should do with people? We should take them and put them out in the street with nothing and see what happens a day later. Because revivalists will go into a desert and there'll be nothing there. And two weeks later, they have created a river and a whole lake. And they're growing plants in a place where it's completely dead. 
because they know who their source is. That's a true revivalist. They're in love with Jesus and I'll do whatever you want because I know without a shadow of a doubt, if you can bring water out of a rock for 3 million Hebrews in the middle of a desert, you can bring funds into my hands and you can bring healing to somebody through me. Amen? Amen. Jesus said, when the son of man returns, will he find any faith in the earth? Oh Lord, please, yes. We believe in Jesus' name. Father, I thank you for every gift that's given here today. I ask that you multiply it according to your word. I thank you that you're the God of more than enough. And I thank you what you put in our hands, you duplicate it, you multiply it. I thank you for needs being met here tonight. I thank you for ministries exploding out of this place. I thank you for increase in the river at Claremont. And Father, we call in from the east and the west, the north and the south. Duplicate and multiply according to your word in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. All right, you may receive the offering. If you're making checks out, make out to the River Claremont. If you're giving, you can give online. If you're online and you want to give tonight, you can go to the River Claremont and give as well. Um, we also have some music CDs. Um, we have them at the back table. Uh, I suggest you get them if you can. Uh, they're not just my little albums. They were recorded in the midst of revival meetings and there's some pretty awesome stuff with 8,000 people singing holy. So, all right, I want you to turn your Bibles real quickly to Romans chapter eight. I'm gonna bring a short word tonight and I'm gonna minister to some people. In all honesty, how many of you really feel like you're receiving something here tonight? Yes. Can I see your hands? Yes. Be honest now. Hallelujah. If you're not, that's okay, you will. Give the Lord a chance. If something I'm saying you don't agree with, eat the meat and throw away the bones. Don't be a picky eater. Try it. I don't like Brussels sprouts. Well, eat one, then tell me if you like it. Maybe it wasn't cooked right. I'm not, I never liked Brussels sprouts. And then I got to become an adult and somebody cooked it just right with some butter, some salt and pepper and some of that adobo. Oh my gosh. Hashtag Brussels sprouts. So praise the Lord. Romans chapter eight, verse 18. The apostle Paul says, and I want everybody to give me your good ear tonight. I am convinced that any suffering we endure is less than nothing compared to the magnitude of glory that is about to be unveiled within us. Everybody say within. within. You know, a lot of people wanna see Jesus outside, but Jesus is being revealed inside. You know, I know people have seen Jesus. He's appeared to some people. I'm just not all that believing that a lot of the people that say they've seen Jesus have seen Jesus. Because what I don't understand is if, they look, if they've seen Jesus, why do they look like hell after they've seen him? I mean, if you've seen Jesus, I'm gonna weep the moment you say, J -j 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 Jesus came, came to me. You're not gonna be like, yeah, we had coffee, it was cool. Really? Everybody in the Bible that Jesus appeared to fell as dead. They were scared and frightened and they walked with him for three and a half years and they were scared and they were falling on their face. Every time an angel showed up, people were afraid. It wasn't like, oh, hey, what's up, Michael? 
the archangel. Let's have coffee. We'll talk about heaven. It'll be cool. I mean, nobody in the Bible. They're, they're like, they're frightened. They fall out. Re Revelation chapter 4. John the apostle is taken up in the spirit into heaven. The first thing that happens, the angel walks up to him. He starts worshiping the angel. The angel goes, hey, don't do that. <laughs> he says, I am a servant just like you. Every time somebody came in contact with an angel, they fell out as dead. I find it very interesting that John, who spent the most time with Jesus, was the lover of Jesus. When he goes up in the spirit into heaven, he doesn't even recognize who he's bowing down to. He just thinks because it's a terrestrial being coming up to him, he goes down and starts worshiping. And the angel has to get him on his feet and says, dude, you don't know where you are, do you? You're in heaven. Jesus called you up here, didn't he? Don't do this. You're a servant just like me. Stop worshiping everything that appears to your eyes. <clears throat> Worship the one who lives within you. All right, everybody with me? Okay, four people. The entire universe is standing on tiptoe, yearning to see the unveiling of God's glorious sons and daughters. This is a passion translation, by the way. For against it will the universe itself has had to endure the empty futility resulting from the consequences of human sin. But now, everybody say now. now. I want to spark faith in you tonight. But now, with eager expectation, all creation longs for freedom from its slavery to, de to decay and to experience with us the wonderful freedom coming to God's children. Our part in life is freedom. I want a country of our own. Freedom! I love Scotland. I went to Scotland, ministered all over Scotland. Hey, right, Roy. I know you speak in tongues, so do we. But we do it better than you do. Well, Rundai, Shundai, who shot your pecan down? But now with eager expectation, all creation longs for freedom. To this day, we are aware, I'm in verse 22. To this day, we are aware of the universal agony and groaning of creation. How many have experienced the groaning and the agony of creation? Okay, one person's gonna be honest and it's a lady that's lived around here, right? Every one of us have experienced the agony of being in the flesh and the things we encounter and some of the obstacles we have to go through. How many have experienced obstacles in your life? Oh, yeah. oh there you are. Welcome back. <laughs> it's a groaning of creation as if it were the, in the contractions of labor for childbirth. And it's not just creation. We who have already experienced the first fruits of the Spirit, and this is Paul, by the way, we who have already experienced the first fruits of the Spirit also inwardly groan as we passionately long to experience our full status as God's sons and daughters, including our physical bodies being transformed. That woman that got healed, she was minding her own business. The Lord just loves her and says, Roy, 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 
She's like, what is, that means nothing. Roy Clark, Roy Orbis, who are we talking about here? No, 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 some crazy long-haired dude is a little slightly heavyweight. <laughs> she doesn't know. And all of a sudden, she gets healed in her body out of nowhere. Why did this happen? Because God loves his people. He loves that woman. He cared enough about that woman that he got a hold of somebody like me. Do you know, I believe there's tons of people here that could do the same thing, but they're not willing to go. Catherine Kuhlman says, I was like God's fifth choice. This mantle was supposed to be upon somebody else to do the work of the ministry, and they all denied it, so I was the only available vessel, a woman in the 60s who drew more people in a crusade who had a young man who came to her crusade named Benny Hinn. And through one person being obedient, another person is also being obedient and you don't know who's following what, but God is the one that orchestrates it, but he's looking for available vessels that will yield to him whatever you say I will do. My life is not my own. The problem with America is we love our lives. There's nothing wrong with loving your life when you're serving God. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about being consumed with the material things of this life and all the cares and the worries of this life. They are designed on purpose to drag you into a place where you no longer hear the spirit. You're only hearing the flesh every day, which is why it's hard for some people to press in sometimes. Oh, you look like you have to go to the bathroom. Why don't you do the shot putt? <laughs> in the spirit, you can enter right in. There's no resistance. You know who you are in Christ, boom, you step in. Roy, I don't know what world you live in. I live in the same world you do. I live in the same world. Your flesh is constantly every day broadcasting to you, that's gonna to be too difficult, that's gonna be weird, that's gonna be strange, you can't do that. I mean, if you do that, somebody's gonna laugh at you. Oh, the fear of man? Like it's a new thing? The fear of man? Really? That's what's keeping you back? God wants to use you to ignite people's lives, not just go through life and exist. Well, I'm doing this over here, I'm doing this over here. Every person is called to be a light to the world. I'll try this church over here. Every person is called to be a light to the world. Well, Jesus was of no reputation, so I really have a hard time with that. Um, Jesus was, key word, was a man of no reputation. Now he's the man of the entire reputation. And everybody he touched had an immediate reputation. They either had a revival or a riot. And for me in America, I will also settle for whatever comes first. Because at least something's moving. Why are the meetings so long? Because you're in them. Oh, help us, Jesus. <laughs> but hope means that we must trust and wait for what is still unseen. 
People so desperately want to see something, they start creating this image in their mind and they start bowing down and worshiping it. And then they use Jesus as an afterthought. And then that thought that they designed in their mind, they thought it was supposed to go that way because they're listening to their mind instead of their spirit. And there is a drastic difference. It lets them down. And then they start to internalize it. I must have done something wrong. No, no. You're just not hearing clearly. You're so focused on the flesh that you're not focusing on the spirit. And I, I find it fascinating that he is a still small voice that speaks to his kids and the flesh is loud, it's all get out and constantly bombarding us. We are children of the most high God. Shush, I wanna hear what my father's saying. Sometimes you gotta get quiet. Sometimes you don't have to shout. Some people talk so much in prayer meetings, God can't get one word in edgewise. I mean, if there's a walkie-talkie conversation going on between you and God, at some point, God's gonna go, can, over, can I speak? Oh, I thank you, God, He's like, okay, 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 okay. Let me just say one thing, it's already done. Are you praying because you want it to move or are you praying because you don't believe it will move? Hey, God gave you an imagination. He gave you a brain and you have his spirit living inside of you. You see it first and then you go after it. And if you're following the will of God, it will become as you say, because Bill Johnson, a great friend of mine, I'm name dropping again. No, I'm not. I'm just dropping names. He said, Roy, what do you want to do with your life? I said, I wanna do the will of God. He goes, I understand that. What do you wanna do with your life though? What, what really do you feel in your heart to do? What's the desire of your heart? I said, to do the will of God. He goes, don't say that again. I already know that. What do you wanna do? I said, man, I feel called to preach and travel and write songs and worship and pray for the sick. I wanna go preach in the prison. I wanna do everything. I wanna do it all. He goes, well, then go do it. He says, if your mind has been renewed, your will is actually his will. And I was like, you are wise. This is the kind of guy that goes, you know, sometimes we drive on a parkway, but we park on a driveway. And I'm like, Bill, I love you. I'll be back in six months when I figure that out. He just throws these one-liners, you know? But you have to see it first. How many here draw or you build something or you're a carpenter or you're, you build things? You, do, you put things together, you draw or something. How many create something? Let me see your hands, okay? It first has to start here. And then you bring it into reality out here. So what would happen if you begin to realize that Jesus Christ gave you the Holy Spirit that it's not just something you do, because even revival people can become religious. Whoever thought those words could fit together? Revival religion, we've made a religion out of revival. That's possible, well, that's very possible. 
No, we only sing a certain way. We only do it this way. We only do it this way. We only do it this way. You know, Jesus, when he showed up, they were doing it all their ways. There's a place in Amos 9, I think it is, where God goes, I have grown tired of your sacred assemblies. I have grown tired of your clanging cymbals and your strings and your music. What is he saying? Stop! What is he saying by saying that? Is he saying stop worship, bring the teams down? No, he's going, your heart is far from me. In one place, I know this is taboo that to say this, you know, but it's in the Bible, but we can't say things that are in the Bible in a congregation. It doesn't make sense sometimes. This one time in the book of Ezekiel, he tells Ezekiel, I want you to cook your food with some stuff that you flush down the toilet. You ever wondered about that? Why, Lord? Here's what God's saying. I am spirit, and what you're doing is so much in the flesh, I want you to smell what it smells like to me, your worship. I want you to have an understanding of what that is like to me. Your heart is far from me. That's why it's in there. He wants our heart. That's what these meetings are really supposed to be about. Every service we come together, every time you go and minister in any place or you're in the meeting, it's all about your heart. That's why, you know, it's, again, I, I make so many references to Pastor Rodney, but I find it ironic and amazing how God sets things up. This is an honor for me to be here, just so you know. This is a real honor to be in Caleb and Kirsten's house of worship, and I tell you, it's just awesome. I just, I love watching Kirsten, who I, I, I kind of got to know, and now I get to know her a little bit more, and just to get to know Caleb. And these guys, you know, the heritage they have in Pastor Rodney, but God has called them in their own right. And it's amazing to see them still on fire for God. They should be a lost cause in some cases, because the ministry pulls all the devils out of the woodwork and brings them against you. And she's still a fire for God, and he's on fire for God. And I tell you, this church is going to rise up. You're going to see great things happen. I'm not just saying that. I'm prophesying that. That means it's going to come to pass. You're going to see great things. You will not be able to contain what's going to happen in here. You can have an unstoppable sign back there. But I'll tell you what, in the spirit, it is absolutely unstoppable what God's going to do in this place. But you're building precept upon precept, line upon line. You're doing it the right way. Do it as God does it. God will either do a quick work in you and start to do something quick, or he'll do it over time. It depends on what he has in store for you. Most times, he does it over a period of time. There's a process. Somebody says, I wish I could just win the lottery. You'd lose the 100 million within three years because you never knew what it was like to save and to invest and to do with the money that you had. That's why those people lose that money quickly. So it's a process. You have to embrace the process. I, you know, I told the inmates in jail today, they're not even in a jail. The word jail is not outside of the, the place. It's, it's correctional facility, correction. It's a place to correct behavior. It's not a jail, it's a correction. God doesn't wanna throw somebody in there and throw away the key and say, good luck, I hope you make it. Maybe you should turn around and get your act together. No, the original prisons in the United States of America, do you know how they rehabilitated the prisoners? They took a chaplain with a Bible in and gave the guy a Bible and he read the Bible and it changed his life. He became a Christian, went out, became a citizen and started to build a family and got his life back together and served God. Wow. That's the original prisons here in America. Today, 
throw him in there. What a jerk. He's done this. He's robbed. Him. Yeah, they're serving the consequence of what they've done, but they, they're supposed to find Christ. Let's pray for these guys. Let's go after these guys. These are some of the greatest Christians that ever lived because they finally come at the end of the rope while people in the free world are all locked up. The guys in the jail are getting free. That's why I love going in that place. It's totally wrecked me. And you ain't got no worship music in there. There's no atmosphere. You go in raw with 35 guys going. And today, all hands lifted up, the presence of God, and they're weeping and thanking God. Oh, come on, man. Coming to Jesus, like, come on. God loves those guys. He really does. You know, I never thought that's where I would be. But I thank God you hear his voice. And I think I shared this. I'll share it again. It's worth it because I'm going to end there as I continue to close. The, um, it's about four months ago, and I'm erasing the whiteboard in the classroom. The inmates go out. They pat them down. They put them back into the pod in the cell. And I'm erasing the board, and I hear, the, I hear his voice again. Son, this wasn't on your radar, was it? I'm like, oh, my gosh, you're talking again. I can hear you. This is not me. This is you. Oh my gosh, I love this. It's like, it's like inst, it's like a product. Insta heaven. <laughs> is your life like hell? Try insta heaven. It was like instant heaven, in a jail cell, in a classroom, behind bars. Heaven comes down. Son, this wasn't on your radar, was it? No. My God, no. I start to weep at me because it's him. No. And I hear this, I'm proud of you. Oh, I'm, I'm going to be a pile of goo here in just a second. He says, you can hear my voice and you're exactly where I want you to be at this season of your life. Our income went down. Right after that happened to me, three weeks later, somebody gave us a car. A month later, somebody drops 100 grand into our ministry account. I just, you know, I walk with the Lord most nights and mornings when I get up. I look at those stars and I'm just over, I'm weeping all the time these days. I used to make fun of old guys. I was like, man, why are they always crying? Be a man for God's sakes, you know. And it doesn't help to have a lady come up, real men cry, okay. You're not a man, are you? <laughs> so. Did I just offend somebody? I, I mean this from the bottom of my heart. If I offended anybody with what I said, get over it. <laughs> I walk around and I'm just like, I'm blown away of how I can, I'm like, I, this is how I walk with God. I walk with God. I go like this, I go, thank you so much for letting me hear you. Thank you so much for taking a drop out of high school in ninth grade. And you've taken me around the world. Use me in the ministry to help other people. You, you took care of my house. You took care of the ministry. You take care of my wife, my kids. I'm just like blown away. I'm like, I was, a, I, was a, I was a kid who was in a foster home for six months and a year and a half in a children's home. I died when I was eight years old because I overdosed on my medicine. I physically died for six, seven minutes. They put me in the ambulance and they lost me again. I died again and they had to bring me back with CPR and the paddles. I've been through hell and back. 
Should have been dead in a car accident when I was 15. This kid stole a sob and drove down this big, tall road in the middle of the night while it was raining. We spun around at 80 miles per hour and landed in a ditch. And I hit my head on the, sh on the, the dash. I should have been dead. And I walk with God. I'm like, thank you. The greatest thing I have is to hear his voice. Some of you might say, well, I don't hear his voice. You got to turn the flesh down. You got to stop letting other people tell you how to live your life. When it comes to the flesh telling you, well, you better be careful. You probably should probably. It's all fear based. This whole system is meant to trap you, lock you down. Remember, the law is for the ungodly, not for the righteous. Paul says all things are lawful, but not beneficial. Somebody's like, hyper grace, hyper grace. Um, is there any greater grace than when he took Paul, who was Saul of Tarsus, who was a murderer of Christians, who today would be considered a modern day ISIS fighter, who lops off heads and throws people into jail and throws people off of buildings in the name of Allah, Paul or Saul of Tarsus is doing it in the name of God. And Jesus appears to Saul of Tarsus and says, why are you doing this to me? How long will it be you kick against the goads? I'm gonna use you to write two thirds of the New Testament. And the rest of the people go, him? Do you know what he's done? He's an evil, rah, 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 rah. Can you imagine what Paul had to endure sometimes? Knocking on a door 20 years later? I wanna tell you about Jesus and now the kid that used to be a kid answers the door as an adult now, and they look at Paul. Gosh, you look so familiar. He threw my parents in jail to become a Christian. What is it you wanted me to do again? Who do you want me to follow? You mean the one that you threw my parents in for following? You want me to now listen to you about this Jesus? I think the only thing he had going for him is that the other disciples said, hey, this guy's been converted, man. He's come to Christ in a powerful way. His light is bright. Probably some of them were like, his light's a little too bright. Like we walked with Jesus. But you know what Paul said? It pleased the father to separate me from my mother's womb to reveal Christ in me. What? Reinhard Bonnke. I may have heard of that name before. I interviewed him, and if I had the interview, I'd put it up on the screen. I had the privilege of getting to know this man for the last, well, since 2013, and Daniel Kalenda were really good friends, and uh, I got to interview him a few, just a few years ago, before he had, you know, had his head shaved and the cancer thing and all this kind of stuff, and then he passed away. Great man of God. 79 million people came to Christ since 1987 because of that man. Africa is saved, and, mo and a lot more are getting saved because of that man and the way God used him. But I asked him a question. I said, when you die, Reinhard, when you pass away, this is years ago before he passed, I says, what's in your heart? What do you think it's really gonna be like? I turned into like a little kid. I was like, what do you think it's gonna be like? He goes, you know what burns in my heart? I know Jesus already. I won't be surprised to meet him. I have connection with him. 
I know him by the spirit. He goes, you know, it says we are uh, uh, placed in heavenly places. You know, some people say it'll be like nothing they've ever seen before. He goes, maybe it's like that, but I know Jesus already. Boy, are white people going to be shocked when they realize Jesus doesn't have blonde hair and blue eyes. <laughs> Boy, are black people going to be shocked when they see he doesn't have dreadlocks and brown eyes. He was a Jewish man. History says that his skin was olive color. What is olive? It's the color of everything. It's every skin in one. You think that's by chance? Or did God set it up? He said, Israel, I want you to represent me on the earth. They said, no, we'd rather do our own will. He goes, man, I love you so much, but I'm gonna have to divorce you in Malachi. Book of Malachi. He goes, I'm divorcing you and I'm gonna marry the Gentiles. But the reason I'm gonna do it is not to throw you away. I'm gonna do it to provoke you to jealousy so that you'll turn back to God. Come back to me because I love you. And he says to the Gentiles, us, you didn't even earn this. I'm gonna give this to you for free because I've always loved you. I wanted them to represent, but now I'm gonna love you. Truth is, he always loved people. He still does. But it's revealing Christ in you is how you get to know Christ. The Holy Spirit helps us get to know him. Who knows Jesus better than the Holy Spirit? He was there when he breathed upon the earth and dry land appeared. He was there when he descended upon Jesus like a dove. People think the Holy Spirit's a bird. It says like it, there's people that think the Holy Spirit's a bird in some country, it's weird. This is what country? I don't know, they're out there. <laughs> But if the Holy Spirit's a bird, we're all in trouble. Oh, look, here comes the Holy Spirit. <laughs> that does not make me want to sing, he touched me, okay? But he introduces us and he reveals Christ to us. So here's what Paul's saying, I'm ending with this. In the same similar way, the Holy Spirit takes hold of us in our human frailty to empower us in our weakness. For example, at times we don't even know how to pray or know the best things to ask for, but the Holy Spirit rises up within us to super intercede on our behalf, pleading to God with emotional sighs too deep for words. God, the searcher of the heart, knows fully our longings, yet he also understands the desires of the Spirit because the Holy Spirit passionately pleads before God for us. It's like we don't... We pray, but he goes, <laughs> that's, that's good on you. Let me show you how to pray. Jesus said, don't pray repeatedly in words and use many words thinking that God will hear you for your many words. And what do we do? Anyways, maybe I shouldn't go there. Um, his holy ones in perfect harmony with God's plan and our destiny. So we are convinced that every detail of our lives is continually woven together to fit into God's perfect plan of bringing good into our lives. For we are his lovers who have been called to fulfill his design purpose. For he knew us all, sorry, he knew all about us. Now this is where I wanna end. I wanna land this plane right here. For he 
knew all about us before we were born, and he destined us from the beginning to share the likeness of his son. Is anybody getting that? This means the son is the oldest amongst a vast family of brothers and sisters who will become just like him. Having determined our destiny ahead of time, he called us to himself and transferred his perfect righteousness to everyone he called. The Bible says all are called, but few are chosen. I totally believe the reason few are chosen is because few choose to be chosen. Totally. And those who possess his perfect righteousness, he co-glorified with his son. So yesterday... Is Pastor Jeff here by chance? Oh, is he? I would really love him to just, is that okay? Or is he in the middle of speaking? Okay. Just really want him to share just a, just a little snippet. Last night, how many were here last night? How many watched online? Okay. Last night, that was a very powerful night. I felt it was. How many felt it was a power? I mean, for me, it felt like a very powerful night. And I'm looking at Pastor Jeff, and he's just, he's out. He's even told me, he says, I went to my happy place. I was just like, I was in heaven. Are you tired of a life of hell? Try insta heaven. Um, for me, last night, it's like the Holy Spirit breathed on when I said, and I'm just reading scripture now, that Jesus was the firstborn among many brethren. And I made, I made the understanding of, do you realize when Jesus came, he, he came to fishermen and made them into disciples. And then he went from disciples and he taught the disciples how to be servants. How many are following with me? I just wanna make sure you're still on board here. He made disciples into servants. He showed them how to be servant-hearted. I mean, you think about what Jesus really did for us. It's God in Christ reconciling the world to himself, okay? Jesus could have done whatever he wanted, but all he wanted to do was the will of the Father. Jesus could have stretched forth his muscles and had 10,000 angels upon 10 myriads of angels show up at any given moment. And what does Jesus do with all of his power. He goes, let me show you the will of my father. Watch this. I'm going to get on my hands and knees and I'm going to lower myself. And by the way, I was with the father before the beginning of time, before you were a thought. And I'm going to lower myself below you. I'm going to look you dead in the eyes and I'm going to wash your feet because that's the will of my father. We're not trying to be this. This is who we are. If people could really understand who God is, this is the biggest problem. People act like they're buddy-buddy with God or they're absolutely afraid of God and both are wrong. Jesus could have done anything. He walked on water. He changed weather patterns. He needed money, he pulled little Nemo out of the ocean and pulled out a little token. 
In Revelation, Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And he took all of his power in human flesh and he lowered himself as a bondservant below the humans that he was a part of creating and said, I'm gonna lower myself below you and show you who we really are. Not this new thing we're doing. We've always been this way. Because I love you. I really love you. I really, 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 really love you. Peter, Mr. Foot and Mouth, well, wash my whole body then if it's just not my feet. Peter, seriously, first of all, you need a bath because you're a fisherman. Secondly, I'm showing you what to do with everyone else. I'm showing you the way. I'm the way. This is what we do in heaven. We serve each other. Even my father, he's in charge and he serves me because I serve him and he's greater than me and he lays down his life and so I'm laying down my life for you. That's what God would do. That's who we are. You don't find it interesting that in the book of Revelation, the apostle John is walking around in the throne room of heaven looking for the lion of the tribe of Judah and he comes up into the room and he sees a little tiny lamb sitting on an altar, wounded. Where's the lion of the tribe of Judah? He goes right there. That's him. Everybody's looking for phenomenal cosmic powers. And there he is, the lamb who was slain. Little innocent lamb, meek and mild. Meek and mild, that's what he became. And being meek and mild. Now, he wasn't necessarily meek and mild because he wasn't squared off with the Pharisees. But, you know, I believe with all my heart, he didn't talk in such a shouty way. I think he had to shout to the people that heard him because there's 5,000 when they're feeding with the fish and the loaves. But I think when he was with the, the Pharisees, I think he just said, you're full of dead man's bones. You're whitewashed on the outside. Inside, you're dead. Doesn't shout. I don't think he was shouting. You're a I think he said that and then made them shout. Who do you think? Who's this guy? Oh my God, we're going to kill him. We got to kill this dude. He's too much love for people. He's taking the average, every ordinary homeless person and loving them. We, we represent God. What is wrong with people, right? He gets all, you can see him getting angry. And Jesus is like, go ahead, get angry because I'm trying to get that rage to come out of you because I'm going to deal with that puppy. Satan has made everybody a slave and to anger, rage, frustration, anxiety, condemnation, despair, distraught, murder, lust, perversion, all these things. That's, that's his playground. And Jesus comes. You ever been around somebody that doesn't shout back at you because you're mad and it makes you matter? Come on, engage me. Say something. They go, go ahead, man. It's fine. And they take dart after dart from you. What happens? The judgment comes back on you. Because they're not doing anything about it. They're just loving you. That's what Jesus does. Throw your worst at me. I still love you. Stumble. I'll pick you back up. 
the angel of the Lord said to John, don't worship me, I'm a servant just like you. Here in heaven, we serve. We serve the king and we serve each other. See, Satan, his philosophy, I'd rather rule on earth as a God than lower myself below anybody. And God goes, you can't stay here then because I'm God and I love to serve my people. So Satan perverts what serving looks like and he perverts what ruling looks like. Ruling, when you even say the word he's a ruler, you think dictator. Well, a dictator is only one person. The Father, Son, and Spirit are three. That means there's unity. That means they're a family, like I said on the stage the other night, last night. Satan could never be God, even if he tried on his best day, because he's only one person. Anybody who tries to be God as one person becomes a dictator, and they rule over people and push them down. And God goes, in my family, we get underneath you and push you up. Oh my gosh. Why do you think I'm here tonight? The Lord's done a tremendous work in my life over the season of my life, 43 years old. I'm not here to talk about my ministry and what I've done and all these things. I'm here to try to push you up because when I went down, the Lord came beneath me and pushed me back up. Jesus was the first of many born among the brethren. God waited the entire time to reveal himself through Christ just 2,000 years ago. He sent prophets to them, they wouldn't listen. He sent messengers, they wouldn't listen. Now he sent Christ. Now Holy Spirit. And you know what astounds me today? That people can still reject Christ today. It astounds me. They think they're getting along in life without him. And Christians, listen to me, okay? You think sometimes that you can continue in your life without Christ. Sometimes we do it subconsciously. Sometimes we just go, okay, I know how to do this. Don't worry about it. God wants to be involved in every area of your life, but he's not a dictator going, no, 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 no. He just wants to be there. He's like a, he is a father. He's waiting. Hey, do you want my advice, baby? because I can show you how to do this a lot quicker with least problems. No, no, I got it, I got it, okay. He doesn't even overt his will, he's God and he doesn't even overt his will over our will. That's, that's is anybody in love with him? Yeah. Like that's amazing? Where Satan is like, my will be done, you do what I say, you are in the flesh. And you're like, oh, okay, okay, I guess this is the way it goes. How can we be the family of God and we, we have to knock on the front door to get into the throne room? We obviously don't know who we are. Why would you want your son knocking on your front door to come into the house that he grew up in his whole life?